Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show was presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it just takes three easy steps. Go to mercurymile.com, enter your preferences and sizes, and they will send you out a box of curated running goodies in about a week, and you keep what you love, you send back what you don't, and it's not a subscription service. You get a box whenever you want one, and it's all good stuff. I have great stuff from Mercury Mile, and I know that I think I've seen several hundred people who listen to this show have checked out Mercury Mile, use my code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 to save 10 bucks in the stylus fee, and they're really happy that they did. So thank you for everyone who's tried it out, and if you haven't, what are you waiting for? You can just send back the stuff if you don't like it. You have nothing to lose. So today's episode is with Kenny Adamolu. Kenny has been kicking some serious butt in 2018. So I really wanted to get him on the show to start 2019 just for that extra motivation that sometimes we all look for at the beginning of a new year. You're going to hear a lot of episodes like this in January where I'm getting people who crushed it in 2018 and who are looking for more in 2019. So I couldn't wait to get Kenny on here because he had just a wonderful year, basically PR'd everything, and he's got a bright future ahead of him. Plenty more PRs to come. So thank you, Kenny, for coming on the show, and here is our conversation. Hello, Kenny, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. It's a pleasure to be on um, on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you, that's for sure. You know, we're doing a... Um, a 2018 highlight recap block right now. We're going to put these all out in January. And I couldn't think of anybody better to talk to who had a great 2018 than you. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to get into it. You're welcome. So first things first, you had a post a couple, a couple weeks ago about um, just the, the progression. You have the progression, but I guess like the highlights – of 2018 and i'm just gonna read it real quick because it was great you got the sub 20 minute 5k you had the sub 40 minute 10k you broke 90 minutes in the half marathon and you broke three hours in the full marathon set prs at every distance first of all congratulations i mean last year at this time so it's right now it's january 4th what were what were you thinking was going to be, you know, like your year ahead. Do you have goals? What was your, your projection for that year? Well, I had, ba- it was a funny one. Last year, um, I had basically just one goal, and that was to try and be cute. To be totally honest, I didn't think it was going to be possible. Um, I'm About this time last year, I was training for London Marathon, and I had um, 3.15 as my target then. Um, I thought I was trained for it. And then I thought, okay, if I did 3.15 in the London Marathon, I would probably be able to take a few minutes off that in Chicago. Well, I needed about 10 minutes technically off that to get what I needed to be a BQ in Chicago. I didn't think it was going to be possible. And to, and to be honest, after my London Marathon performance, I actually thought that, well, that's it for the year. I don't think I'll be able to do it. So what was your training like going into London? Um, it was a funny one. Okay, so before London in 2017, 
I basically ran about six marathons back to back. And it was it was it was funny because 2017 was also the year I ran my first marathon. So I ran the first one and then I booked five. So, oh my um, gosh. I, yeah, it was a funny thing. It was um, I'd run my I'd run a few half, half marathons before that, and I said, okay, let me just run a marathon and let's see if I could do it in 3:30. The eight minute mile was something I thought was going to be pretty easy because. While I was training for my half marathons, that used to be my forever pace. And then I did my first marathon and I hit the wall about mile 23. I didn't know what to do with the wall. And I ended up walking, skipping, running for most of it. And I ended up at 340. And then I thought the best thing to do is then immediately register for another marathon and see if that would fix it. All right, I want to then... stop. I want to stop you right there because that is exactly <laughs> what happened in my second marathon. I had the the eight minute pace dialed in. I thought this is definitely going to happen. I wasn't worried about it at all. I hit the I hit the wall at twenty three. I got a little knee injury, and the same thing. I ended up running three forty five. Very similar to you. So we had very different reactions. However, so we had. <laughs> so for me, I basically have taken eight years off from the marathon. I was like. You know, forget this. I don't want to do that ever again. <laughs> so what do you think made you want to jump right back into it? Not just into it, but like with abandon. I mean, you did five more. Well, the thing was, the first 20 miles of that marathon were, were, among, were about the best 20 miles I've run ever. Because it's kind of like when you dial into a pace and you can just go on forever. And that's how it felt. And because I was running an international marathon, I was running through a really beautiful city. I think I was, it was Marseille. So I was running, uh, it was the Marseille marathon and I was running through the city and I was really enjoying it. I was running with about 40,000 other runners. And there's that, there's that feel to it about doing something with, a couple of other crazy people and everyone and everyone just had these white greens on their faces and i just I, I was hooked that's interesting so you were able to remember the good parts not the bad parts yeah because the bad parts came about mile 23 and to be totally honest i was a bit confused i didn't know that that was that was the wall because it was about i was one second I was cruising through, I think there was this beautiful, um, we had to run through a park or so, and we did about a loop of the park. And then some, something suddenly just hit me. And uh, I basically lost all momentum, all energy. And uh, I, I thought I'd probably done something wrong or it was, I, there was something wrong physically with me. I, was, I didn't know that was the wall until I'd gone back and done some research and then someone told me that, yeah, you bunked. So do you, it was a, so do you think it was a nutrition issue or what do you think was, was the problem? It, oh, okay. No, it was definitely nutrition, but I didn't really get that for a while because what happened was um, I lost all energy after a while. And then what happened was I then cramped on one leg, then I cramped on the other leg. But then why I knew definitely that it was a nutrition issue was, um, I think about mile 25, I poured some water on my head. And when the salty water touched my lips, I basically had, there was this like one minute of, there was a boost. So that my, my, my body just reacted to that salty water. So I knew I was missing something. That was the reason why I was, I was reacting the way I was. 
Man, that sounds like a religious experience. You have like water over the head. You get like <laughs> no, immediate it was, boost yeah, of energy. It was, it was that it was that touch of salt. So I knew it was a nutrition thing that I, yeah. pub, I was missing something. All right. So how did you, I guess, so you, in all of your half marathon training and leading into that first marathon, had you run all of your long runs without fuel going into it? No, I, I was, that was the thing. I was fueling, but I had, I was fueling every, I think it was every four miles or so. And I don't think that was quite enough. It wasn't until um, I started working with my coach, um, James McCurdy, that he basically, we had a talk about it. And he said, look, like your body doesn't quite understand miles, like your body understands time. And I think that made quite a lot of sense to me. And um, the, the, um, the take a gel every 30 minutes, which is his, um, which is what he usually recommends. That just works. That, that worked perfectly for me. Yeah. And especially with salt being an issue for certain runners, you know, that's usually a byproduct of how, how like how heavy a sweater yes. you are. So like, that's where you can lose a lot of salt. So that's one of those things too, where like, you know, some people need the gels because they need the sugar and the glycogen and like the salt can be a completely different issue. If like you're a heavy sweater, it's like, Oh shoot, you got to like yeah, but salt that's, yeah. tablets or whatever. Yeah. And that was exactly my issue. Oh, that's interesting. I've seen, I remember there's like certain articles and books that I've read where like people would like right before a big endurance race, they would like have extra cheese or have like a lot of salty foods just to like, you know, people like would carbo load. I heard like these certain Yeah, individuals, yeah, some people salt load. Yeah, salt I, load. I've seen that. Yeah, I don't but, know if that, how, I don't know if that actually no, works No, it not, didn't but, because like I said, I did five other marathons after that uh, after that marathon and none of those methods work. See, I'm, I'm a bit of an um, autodidact. So when something goes wrong, my my usual approach is to go bury myself in research and see what I can do to fix it. And the problem with the internet is everyone has an opinion. So there is that slippery slope of following everyone's advice. And most of the time, it's um, they don't know what they're talking about um, either. But it was, so I did try all those methods. And what happens with the moment you, you load up on salt, what happens is, I used to see, um, after I removed a t-shirt, after a workout or after a marathon, it used to have this white, it used to be white, um, this white powder on it. And that was the salt seeping out of my body. Oh, yeah. I hear you. I had that on a couple of my running hats. <laughs> I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Um, so, so, you, so you had that first marathon experience. It went really well for the vast majority of it. So why sign up for five more? Walk me through yeah, that. Okay, well, what happened was um, I signed up for the second one midway through training for the first. I didn't know that. Uh, I think this the second one was two weeks afterwards. Oh, what, it, I, I think I, I underestimated the distance. So I, I hadn't actually run a marathon when I signed up for the second one. I just had a few friends running it. And I was like, okay, well, if it's anything like half marathons, I'd have been recovered by then anyway. So I should be able to do... Um, another marathon two weeks later on. It, it, like I said, it was silly, but uh, I did run. That was the next one was the Manchester Marathon in the UK, and I think I, I I took off about six minutes off the time. But I had the exact same thing happen. Also, I hit the wall and uh, I had the cramps, and yeah, so it was the same thing. And then I said, just there booking because they seemed like a fun thing to do. And I was trying to target my sub 330. So 
the second race, were you able to hold the eight minute pace again or were you kind of bogged down from recovering from the first one? No, the second one was funny because I was on, uh, I was on 327 pace, which was about, um, I think that's seven, seven fifty or, um, slightly, slightly lower for most of the race until I hit the wall. I think this was a bit earlier though in this race. And that could be because I, I was a bit fatigued from my previous race. I, um, yeah, so that one I hit the wall earlier and I ended up doing quite a lot of walk run um, until the finish. But I ended up, um, I, I think I finished that in about 3.34. So what was your inspiration to get into running in the first place? Because it seemed like you really were dedicated to it. Had it always been I the case? I was. Um, yeah, I, I basically ran, um, I started running about 2013. Uh, it was an interesting story. It was um, my, in twenty. 12 well from 2010 to 2012 i worked um on the london olympics so i was part of the team that um we did it for the london olympics so we managed the um i work in um i'm a management consultant i do lots of it and cyber security is my area so i, I we did um lots of the security for the london olympics and we used to have in the operation center we used to have these big screens and all we were doing was watching the athletes and I thought, well, at, at that time, I was overweight. I was about, um, let's see, I think I was about 102 kilograms. Uh, I'm not quite sure what that equates to in pounds. Yes, around, uh, around 220-ish. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, I was about that. I was overweight. And I thought, look, let's even, let me, and I think I had one of the, there was one of those health checks they normally do where you blow into this apparatus or so, and it tells you how healthy your body really is or how healthy your lungs are. And I remember at the time I blew into one of those things and I was told I had the lungs of a 62-year-old. And that sort of shocked me a bit. So I thought, okay, I was going to get on this. I, I, I was going to get healthy. I was going to change my life around. The problem was I didn't do anything about it for a whole year. Uh, so in 2013, I joined the gym and I started using the treadmill. And it used to be really funny because I'll get on the treadmill and I wouldn't be able to go past five minutes. And there used to be these people much older than me. Even I think there used to be this guy in his 60s or 70s. And he'll get on the treadmill and he'll run for about 10 minutes. And I used to just stare at him, wondering how he did it. And I think one of the happiest times ever, well, I think one of, my uh, one of the most defining moments was when I was able to go 20 minutes nonstop. But still, I never went outdoors. I thought, yeah, that's for professionals. I'm not doing that. And yeah, so and I remember the first time I ever went outdoors. I I I, I waited till it was evening till there was no one around, and I just basically did a, a jog around my area. That's interesting. I it's funny. I just put out a quote yesterday on Instagram. Um, from an individual who was on this show about a month and a half ago, two months ago. And actually his name is Ken as well. And he had the yes. exact same story. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think I left a, yeah, I left a comment on Ken's, um, on his Instagram when I, when I listened to it, because we had about the same journey because he had, uh, it was, and I, I, I thought that was really funny because yeah, uh, 
I just refused to go outdoors. I, I thought that, look, people would just laugh at me. That's so, you know, it's so interesting to hear that because like, obviously like, you know, you've lost weight since then, but it's not, I mean, shoot, even if someone is like, I'm, I want to phrase this the right way. There's really no body type that should ever stop anyone from like, you know, pursuing something outside, right? But even if someone was self-conscious, it's so interesting to me that like at 102 kilograms, you felt self-conscious because I did. Because it's yeah. not as if that's a remarkable number. Yeah, but I think the problem was I wasn't quite sure I was doing it right. Mm-hmm. So, so, and you'd have, uh, and um, I didn't want neighbors who were living in the same neighborhood to wonder what's he up to now. <laughs> right. And then just like Ken, both of you guys are like, <laughs> like, the, like I, would, I would trade my body for your body any day of the week. So like, <laughs> it's so funny to hear that now after the fact, but it's certainly a testament to how hard you worked. So did, was it a long process for you to kind of gain the confidence that you needed to kind of like, you know, reach the next level as an athlete, you know, and kind of embrace the whole, the whole process? Well, it, I think um, after about three months or so, I, I started seeing results. And um, in the UK, we have this thing we call park run, which is um, free organized 5K runs most weekends in local parks. And I think I went for the first, I, um, I, I wanted to get, I wanted to do like, I wanted to see how I measured up more, or I wanted to basically run in a group. And somebody suggested park run as a gateway way into 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 getting to run with groups. So when I did my first park run, uh, I noticed that I wasn't at the back. I wasn't in the middle. I, I think my first park run, my position was about twenty five, and I and people and people who hadn't seen me before came up to me and said I did really well, and I just continued doing it. And then I realized um, that. I was getting faster in the park runs. So and then I thought, okay, well, I wasn't half bad then. Yeah, no, absolutely. And obviously when you get, it's kind of like a chicken and egg thing, but once you start seeing success, it's easy to then, not easy, but it's understandable to start getting motivation from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like when we hit those plateaus where it can be a little demoralizing to you know, put in all the effort and then not see any of the, the growth or expected results. So when you come across people either in, in person or, in, you know, on, on the social media side who are where you used to be, where are in that spot where they have a lungs of a 62 year old, despite being half that age and, you know, are wondering, you know, what they can do to, you know, to, to kind of improve themselves physically and feel better. And maybe feel a little down and out and think like, hey, I can't do that. That's just not how my body is built. What is your message for some of those people? Because it seems like you've been there and you lived it. Well, usually I think uh, I, I have lots of personal experiences with this because uh, my younger brother used to be, he, he's also just there running and he used to be the one to tease me that I was always running, but now he's still running and he's here to see his numbers drop. I know a few people who have started running because I started running. And my message to them is just keep at it. I used to, t- I, I normally tell them that they, most of anyone coming in for the first time anyway, doesn't usually worry about time, but, and I used to help them at least with the excuses they have. Cause normally you have 
lots of people want to do, but then they've heard so much stuff about running that, um, like it's bad for your knees and stuff like that. And that's one of the most common ones because I have lots of people who've tried it, run the first time, had a, f- uh, had a little issue with their knees and decided to stop. And I normally encourage them to just keep at it. And I think a lot of people have seen me. So they, most, most people witness my journey and they've seen the results. So they actually come up to me for advice anyway. And I think I've been able to motivate quite a lot of them. But my, not, my message to anyone who is, trying to, who is trying to get healthy is just to keep at it. You, you don't rush. Don't try to, um, don't, don't get jealous of the people that are um, posting amazing times on their Instagram or their social media. You will get there eventually. It's, it's a journey. It can't be rushed. Yeah, that's a great point. The whole it can't be rushed part because it, you, it's easy for people to say, look at someone like you now, right? So we're going to get to this later, but you ran a 255 marathon this year, which is remarkably fast. And it's easy for someone to look at that and say, like, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say, Kenny, you ran it. You wrote three minutes, you know, three hours in the in the marathon. Like, here I am. I'm just struggling to break five. But it's interesting because, like, you were right there, too. And yeah, I was, you know, and it's, it's interesting to me that when you started this journey back in 2000, you know, 12, 2013, why do you think you were able to continue down that path instead of getting bogged down? Or, you know, kind of like throwing in the towel after a month and saying, oh, this is, you know, I'm just going to go back to my old life. I don't want to do this anymore. Well, I think uh, I think the, 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 the most important for me was I saw results. So I said sleeping better. Um, my body changed, um, which was not it wasn't so much of a positive anyway. Anybody who has had to change their entire wardrobe will tell you that. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm looking well, at your picture right now on my screen right here. And you look pretty nice. You look pretty good in your in your suit, man. So I got to say, like, you, um, I think whenever you had to buy new clothes, you picked out some good ones because you're styling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I also had suits in my previous size. I think I went from, I used to wear in the UK, it used to be a UK 44. That used to be my suit size. Now I wear a 38 slim. So I couldn't... I couldn't tailor or I couldn't modify the ones I had. I had to th- I had to throw them all out. Or actually give them all out. So yeah. So how tall are well, you, Kenny? I'm six two. You're six two. Okay, all right. So all right. So I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, um, so you saw some success early on, yeah. and so that, that that kind of spurred you on to move forward. Yeah, and at, at that time, anyway, my motivation wasn't racing. I I used to basically run just so I could keep running. So I used to run to keep fit. I used, and and I, it was, I didn't do it because I, so I think one of the things that helped me also was, uh, it's, it's a funny one is because I was doing it alone. So I was, I was a bit self-motivated. So I didn't have to wait on someone to um, knock on my door. I didn't have to call someone to drag me out and which helped a bit because I was able to keep going that way. Um, I think it's helped with my marathon training so far also because I didn't I didn't need anyone to I didn't need anyone to come drag me out the door or anything else. I was doing it for my reasons. Now, have you always been a pretty self-motivated person? Yeah, uh, I, I I always have. And I think that's it. I, I normally try to do things for my reasons or because they're best for me and, not, and nothing else. So. That's that's me. That's usually me anyway. No, but you bring up a good point because 
I think the, the key part of that statement is that you stuck with it because you wanted to do it. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a little bit different if it's um, put on you by somebody else. Right. Like, you know, you see this all the time. Say someone's trying to like, you know, quit smoking or something like that. Right. It's like someone's like your doctor tells you, Hey, you need to quit smoking. It's like, yeah, you might understand that, but if you don't really want to, it's probably not going to work. It really have to have that, that internal, passion and conviction not passion so much but definitely conviction in order yeah. to really kind of get through some of those challenging times or setbacks that might, that might face that. Up. yes so did you have any challenges or setbacks as you as you progressed from 2013 uh, on the injuries <laughs> the injuries so 20 yeah so 2016 just before i started training for the marathon i well, the runner's knee was something that I, I, I had before I started training, and it's something that never quite went away. But then I think just while I was training for the marathon, I developed an Achilles issue also, um, Achilles tendonitis, I think, or tendinopathy, uh, tendinopathy or something. And that was a bit of a challenge. But it's helped me, it's helped me a bit because now I, I almost always get a massage. I almost always stretch and do the things I should have been doing in the first place. But it was my, my initial setback was the injuries. Just basically you trying to do what you need to do, but then your body refusing. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I think I also had an ITB issue also. So, yeah, I think the initial setback was the injuries. Now, did you have did your stride change at all as you got trimmer and got faster? Like, did you go from like, you know, what I, when I think, when I hear some of these injuries, again, I'm not a doctor, but the first thing that comes to my mind is my own experience is that when I used to have like a longer stride and a slower cadence, I used to be much more of a heel striker and I would have the same sorts of injuries. And then when I changed my stride length over time, a lot of those started to dissipate. Yeah, and that's and and that was that that basically leads me into and that that exactly is what happened. So, um, if I if I go back a bit, um, twenty seventeen after my London after I think I ran my last marathon of twenty seventeen was the New York Marathon, and then I decided that I was doing something really wrong. And what I had because of the injuries, because what happened was the knee injury just kept go, coming back and the Achilles injury also kept coming back. So what I had was, I went and had a gait analysis done and I was, I was shown, I wasn't told that I was a really massive hill striker. And it wasn't just a, because they will tell you that hill striking isn't really bad anyway. But what I was doing was I was landing with a locked knee and what happened and, and what that did was it was very it was it was really jarring so every time my and uh, every time i hit the ground when um when i was running it was basically sending the impact straight to my knee and because i had those real because i had the recurring issue i was compensating on the other leg which is what was causing the achilles issue so i had to have i basically had to do um a few weeks of gait retraining where I, I learned to not so much forefoot strike, but learned to land with a much uh, with with um, a bent, a slightly bent knee, but which more or less ended up resulting in a forefoot strike. So now I run more forefoots, and 
I hardly have. I, I, I think I've run the past year and a half without any injuries so far. Now, I did the exact same thing. I, I spent a couple months changing my gait. Uh, how did you do it? So, um, I, there's, there's, a, there's a specialist. There's a specialist it's, um, in the UK that they basically, that's what they do. They, learn, they, they more or less teach you to um, change your, your, your stride, especially when you have something as bad as what I had. Because there there's a video, um, I, I still have the video saved somewhere, where I was landing and I was, it was obvious that I was compensating. So on one foot, I was heel striking. The other foot, I was mid-foot striking. And that was because I had an Achilles issue on one foot and a knee, and a knee injury on the other. So basically, I was running in a way that I was compensating for both injuries. So they basically taught me to strength. So it was, um, I had to strengthen my glutes, but also I had to consciously for the initial first few weeks, learn to basically land with the more bent knee so that there wasn't that much of an impact on my knee and also force the leg that was um, forefoot striking, um, that was midfoot striking to land the exact same way as the other one. So I was more even. Now, it's one thing to know this academically. It's a whole other thing to actually put it in practice and be able to sustain it when you get fatigued. How, yes. did, how were you able to do that? that? Well, the initial first few weeks was with, this, uh, was with the specialist. And we used to run on a treadmill near a mirror. And it used to be I had to, I, I had to it wasn't so much watching my feet, but you had to listen to see how your feet, um, how your foot, um, foot sounded when you landed and you would not actually you could actually hear it when you're for, when you're heel striking versus when you're forefoot striking normally forefoot striking is usually lighter because you're meant to land light so and that's your high cadence anyway yeah that makes sense i'll tell you what i what i ended up doing because i ended up it was for me it was reading born to run and what i did was after i read that book it was like all right everyone everyone started doing the barefoot craze and all that and, yeah. I, and I wasn't going to be doing any of the barefoot running <laughs> you know, i was you know, <laughs> I, I run on roads so i was like all right i'm not going to step on a rock and kill myself i'm not <laughs> that was a, that's an exaggeration but i'm not going to step on a rock and like you know put myself out for weeks just to you know just for this you know vanity thing of running bare feet so so there was a uh, there's one part in it in that book which said, Hey, if you run uphill, you automatically run midfoot, forefoot striking because you can't run uphill heel striking. You'll just tip over backwards. So what I did was I, so I was traveling a lot for work at the time. So I was always in hotels for like a three month span, which was, which was actually good because instead of like running along the highways that I was staying on, which would have been obviously not the best move. I just stayed on the treadmill and the first day I ran 10 minutes. Yeah. I said it for like two, like two degrees up. So it was a hill, but not massive. And I ran for like, again, like 10 minutes and then, oh, wow. and I didn't care about pace. It was just about trying to have like a quick cadence. And then like, I, yeah, did, and, yeah. I did that for a week. Then I ran 11 minutes and then I ran 12 minutes. So like my, my legs and my lungs weren't exhausted. It was just more about, retraining myself like i basically got like a lot less fit during that time because i was exercising a lot less but once after three months it was almost like you talked about how like you finally felt confident to like go out on the roads you know for a very different reason after about three months of doing that i finally felt confident to like 
you know, take myself off the take treadmill, out, yeah. run on flat ground and be like, okay, now I can do this. So it, it was a lengthy process, but I'll tell you, man, like I haven't gotten injured since. And like, no, I, it, it I really agree. has, it really, for me, it was always like the back of my heel and Achilles, not like, not from the pounding. It wasn't like a bruising. It was more of like a tendonitis type issue like you had. Yeah. And I think it was, it's an interesting thing about uh, the way that the difference it used to be that when I was heel striking, I used to be scared to do any any speed walk because when you do speed walk and you are heel striking with a locked knee the way I was, it used to be really painful afterwards. Mm. So I used to just refuse. So it wasn't until I changed my gait and my stride where the speed walk, the strides were just much easier. Well, they're never quite easy, really, but it, it, it got easier. Or it was as it was less painful. And you must have gotten faster because if you do speed work with a really hard heel strike, like that's like slamming on the brakes. Yes, yes, and that and that was it, and that and, and that was where I began to see at least a bit of a difference. Yeah, it was immediately after that that I then started training for London, man. Right, and I don't want to demonize heel striking and like even highly Gebra Selassie like was like a, was a slight heel striker and he was like the best runner of all time so I mean I'm not gonna like sit here and say like anything negative about it but like you said and like I experienced as well like if you're like really slamming your heel into the ground with a with a lock knee that's very different than someone who like slightly heel strikes but doesn't in a very like soft pillowy way and like is immediately springing up again from it yeah I agree yeah so I can't wait. All right, so he, so now we're here. We're at 2018. You had your like crazy marathon 2017 experience. You got in six marathons. You're like that person who like like marathon for you was like a gateway drug. It's like you tried it <laughs> yes, once it and was. you're like you were hooked. <laughs> yes, it was. So 2018 comes along. You have this goal of 315. Now what? Yes. Now why was that the goal? And when you looked at that goal, did you view that as like your running potential or just like the stepping stone to what was next? I, well, okay. So I thought that that would be a good stepping stone. So I broke the, I, I broke 330 in Berlin the year before. Um, I had a bad New York. Um, I had a bad New York marathon and that was because I'd done a bit too many marathons. I was undertrained and I tried to do a bit too much. And I thought, okay, let's do let's train properly for london let's not do as much marathons but let's train properly for london so i picked up the um pnd advanced marathon advanced marathon um running book what is that and it's um the Pittsfinger and douglas it's uh, uh it's called the advanced marathoning okay it's by yeah scott spit i think it's uh yeah um pete's pete Pittsfinger and scott douglas it's yeah and they usually, they, there was one of the plans there that was, I think, 18 weeks up to 55 miles a week at, um, during the peak mileage period. And I basically followed that plan for 18 weeks and I decided I was trained. And while following that plan for, the, for that 18 weeks, um, I think during that period, I broke some of my, um, broke some some of the PBs. Um, I got some of the PBs that you saw on on my post. So as when I got my first twenty minute um, sub twenty minute five k and my first sub forty minute ten k, and that was all on tapered. And so I knew that the increased mileage had helped, and I decided to. I thought I was ready, and 
then I ran London and um, it was a fun, London was a funny, London the, um, last year was pretty funny because we had, we had, a, we had a really bad winter. And I think on, on the day of the race, it was one of the hottest, it was one of the hottest days um, or one of the hottest London marathons so far. And we ended up running it in, I think it was 28 degrees um, centigrade, and which was pretty hot considering that most of us had most of us had trained in winter and that was a pretty bad race for me because uh the wheels fell off about mile 17 and i had to slow down my pace considerably and i finished i finished it in about 331 which wasn't which wasn't a, a pb or anything and i just thought that okay there i am done the most training i've done ever and I still did in PB, and I then immediately uh, I, I immediately registered for the Stockholm Marathon. It was a race I'd done the year before, and I thought, okay, let's try this again with my what I quote quote unquote uh, London Marathon fitness. And I tried. I I didn't even. I wasn't aiming for three fifteen then. I was aiming for a little. Le- I was. I think I was aiming about three twelve or so just to see because I felt I was fit and London Marathon was just a bad was just a bad race. And I that ended up being a DNF because after I think about mile nine, I just realized that I'd overcooked it and I just wasn't prepared. So what was the time frame between London and Stockholm? Um five weeks. It was five weeks later. So um I I, I had done my recovery. I'd done a I'd done um, some training afterwards, but to be totally honest, I didn't train properly. I think I'd, I'd gone on vacation midway and I didn't train during vacation either. But like I said, it was, I, I wasn't properly trained. Yeah, and that's tough too, right? Because it's, it's, you have that five-week period and everybody's different, but sometimes you're better off. Like, you know, I think we saw Stephanie Bruce do this here in the States where she ran... Was it New York? Yes, you were in New York and then came back to run the California International Marathon roughly five weeks later. And for her, I know I heard her coach on a podcast saying, like, for them, it wasn't about increasing fitness. It was about making sure that she was rested and that they just had, like, maintenance mode. So she would maintain, hopefully would maintain the fitness she went into New York with, but then maybe just being able to capitalize on it better at CIM. So what during that five-week period, if you could diagnose it now, what would you do differently if you were going to still run Stockholm but try to try to you know run the race that you would hope to run? Yeah, but I think, like you said, I would have been in maintenance mode. I would have basically kept up the fitness, not overdone it. And I, I think uh, her coach said the exact right thing. But I wasn't doing I think up to, up to that point, I was self-taught or self-coached. And I probably wasn't doing it right either. So uh, I think that was one after that DNF, I decided to rethink things. And that was when I decided that probably a coach would be the best thing for me, that I was not running to my proper potential. I I had PBD in in all the shorter distances, but even then I wasn't doing it properly. So I think just... um, just before Stockholm, I'd done, uh, I'd gone and run my first sub ninety minute half marathon, and that was with a two minute toilet break. So I thought, look, I 
I probably do have some some speed in me, but I'm not doing all the right things. And I don't think it would be a good idea to continue doing it this way if I really wanted to meet my goals. And I think I'd seen some other people on social media who were getting good results with a coach. People who I felt that I, if, if I wasn't faster, at least I, was as, I could be as good as they were. I think we just have a new, a new title for the podcast. Because if you can get a new PR in the half marathon, break 90, and have a two-minute bathroom break, like, that's it, man. That's heaven right there. <laughs> like that, you, you, you've reached the pinnacle of running. If you can get a PR with a two-minute bathroom break. So good for you on that one. That's for sure. One thing that has, is sticking out in the story is how you've hit certain challenges or setbacks And it appears as though every time you have, just like with this DNF in Stockholm, that instead of wallowing in like, you know, kind of like having a pity party or getting or feeling, you know, a little depressed about it, you just immediately go into like solving the problem mode. It's like, okay, here was an issue. So this is how I'm going to solve it. Even if like that solution isn't right. You know what I mean? It's like you immediately just go into, okay, how can I solve this problem and move forward? And, you know, I'll try this and I'll try that. And then continuing to kind of keep the ball rolling. Whereas I know there are plenty of people, me included, who, you know, will kind of feel down and out. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're sitting, sitting on, the, on the couch having like, you know, another pint of Haagen-Dazs as like, you know, we watch our, our training journal just like collect dust in the corner. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a side effect of my profession. As a, as a management consultant, you're always looking for solutions. So you're always looking, regardless of the setbacks, you're always looking for solutions. And I think that's a bit of a side effect that, okay, look, there's, a, there's, there's an issue, let's solve it. Let's, there's a problem, let's resolve it. And that's, my, that's usually my mentality. That look, if something's going wrong, how best do we fix it? Let's not, let's not have a pity party. Let's, how do we fix this? And that's, usually, and that's the mentality I take into most things anyway. All right. So let's go into post-Stockholm. So, so, so I love that mindset, first of all. That's a great line. How can we solve it? How can we resolve it? And um, what did, how did your training change post-coach well, going into Chicago? Because you know, as I just mentioned before, you ran 255 in Chicago. And I can't wait to talk about the goal setting conversation that you had with James, because I, I think it's very inspirational. But what did your training look like from a, from a change perspective compared to how you used to train versus how you were doing it now? I think it, it was a crazy one because what happened was I decided, okay, look, I think the initial one was the first phone call with um, with James. So what happened was I decided I needed a coach, and therefore I just started researching coaches. And I had a few phone calls. I had I sent I had a few email conversations with different people, and it was the I had. And then um, James, he his name came up, and I decided to contact him. I think that was via the V dot O two app, and we had the initial discussion. I told him about my history the uh, issues that I'd had. And I said, look, I have Chicago in a few weeks, uh, in, in a few months. And what I'm looking for is, I want to see if I can sub three. I actually told him that, look, I don't really, I don't really think sub three is possible. I, I know you'll be probably laughing out there, but I want to see how close to a sub three I can get. Then 
he kind of shocks me a bit because he said, I think you are capable of much more than a sub three. That based on the stuff I had done and everything else, I was laughing to myself. I said, look, that's probably what all coaches say anyway. But anyway, let's see what he can do. Um, we, we, we said having, uh, I think I was on vacation at the time. And he said, okay, look, we would start off with a few easy runs, which I felt was really annoying at the time. Uh, he said a few 35-minute, 40-minute runs. And I thought, look, this can't be, this can't be what coaching is about. And then I think when I got back from vacation, I had a 10K coming up. And I think we, he, he, um, James then said, look, okay, let's look at how, how well I do in the 10K. That would tell me, where my that will tell him where my fitness is really at. Yeah? So I think for two weeks he get, he put some workouts in my in my diary and I started doing them. I think halfway through I had a bit of an injury, and that was because he hadn't he hadn't prescribed weights or anything at the time. I think he had planned them, but he hadn't he he didn't they didn't come up. So I went to the gym thinking that I should do some weights, and I pulled my back. And I had to take a, a few days off training. I had to see an osteopath and and, and get my back fixed. But then um, I got, I think the, the race was on Sunday and um, I think my back was okay by Tuesday. So I just had one major workout just before that. And then the race came up. And I think that was a 10K. Previously, I'd done a 10K in... 30, 39 minutes 50 or something like that and based on what had happened and based on the workouts I'd had based on what I'd done uh, with James I was able to do that race in 38 49 minutes or so and he off the back of that he said look we're probably setting our sights too low with a th- sub three and he said I was probably capable of a 251 or so but he would train me for for where I think I was meant to be at that time like I, I can assure you I didn't believe any of what he was saying <laughs> I yeah I can assure you I didn't believe a word of what he was saying I think up on it did it wasn't up until oh, about a month before because you know you know what happens with the Vida um, O2 app it, pres- it prescribes paces for you and everything else I wasn't even training close to those paces I felt the easy pace that I was being prescribed was too hard so I was doing them about 20 seconds slower Um, the tempo paces I felt those were just crazy and the marathon paces I was doing them about 10 minutes 10 minutes slower also but then eventually as the as the training progressed I would just slip into those easier paces without without realizing because I don't really check my watch when I'm running I try to run on fail and, and so I know because my first mile is usually really slow and then I warm up and just start running and what I was happening was I was negative splitting into my paces naturally anyway and that's one like I said it's uh, it's, it's something that no one but a coach would have been able to see that or, or, or um, would have been able to tell me so uh, I think that was basically uh, during during that period, I, I realized I was getting fitter and fitter. And uh, what happened then was I had a half marathon just before that. Uh, and 
then um, James gave me this. He he gave me the the race plan for that half marathon. And I thought, yep, that confirms it. He's crazy. <laughs> I think he had asked me to. I, my previous um, PB at the time was about one twenty seven, and he basically had set a target for me. He said I was going to have to run a one twenty five, but that wasn't what scared me. It was the fact that he was expecting me to negative split it. So he basically set the he split the race into ten k uh, into five k um, segments. And I was I was meant to do each segment I think about ten seconds faster than the red um, than the previous one. Yeah, I saw that. So it was like what six forty, six thirty. I was meant to start at yes, yeah, so six forty, six thirty, six twenty, and then I was meant to do the last five um, k in whatever I had left. And that was it was it was in, it was interesting for me because normally I would do I'll take I'll run a, a half marathon at one at, at one pace and what usually happened was about two miles or three miles before the half marathon I was already dropping I was already dropping speed but what happened in this instance was um, the first five k I was coasting and then the next five k I felt it was still too easy but I I decided to to basically do what James asked me to do. And it wasn't half hard. It wasn't hard at all, actually. I felt I'd run that marathon and that half marathon pretty um, um, conservatively. And I ended up with that resulted in, I think it was over a three minute PB and I'd run it easy. I think a few people who'd run the race with me kept wondering what I was doing because they were following me. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm pretty tall. So they were running with me. And what would happen is they would see me go forward a bit. They would think they were, lo- they were losing speed. And then they would see me disappear into the distance. And people were wondering what exactly, what, what exactly happened with you. I said, look, I was just following race plan. I, I, I wasn't trying to be really, I wasn't trying to lose you or anything. Well, not only that, not only did you have like the perfect progression run in that race, but you finished with a 6.03 last mile. That was incredible. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, that last mile itself wasn't. I, I it wasn't that difficult. I, I, I that was a marathon. I had, that that half marathon. I felt pretty fresh afterwards. And I think it was after that race. I then thought that okay, look, sub three is definitely possible. All right, so let's go to Chicago. So you meet okay. James for the first time at Chicago and when you're talking about the race plan obviously at this point after that half marathon experience you must have had a lot of confidence moving forward I had, so, yes. so, so, so what was the plan for Chicago <sighs> okay the um I'd, the the plan um James had given me the plan a cop I think it was a couple of days before the plan scared me <laughs> but uh but then we had the discussion and he said look you're capable of running this if you if you if you if you don't do anything stupid <laughs> so uh, that was that was basically what he said if you don't do anything stupid you are capable of of, of basically getting not a sub 3 not it, i think the plan itself was i think was meant to be the target was 253 but because chicago had all the tangents and the bad gps he said we'll aim for a 255 
but then you might be if you you might do it a bit faster than two fifty five if you follow if you follow my rules to the exact yeah to the exact point. So he was basically saying, let's aim for the two fifty five. And um, he had given me the plan where I was meant to run the first. Um, the first it was it, it was split into ten k segments. I was meant to run the first ten k in six forty six fifty, or start out at six fifty and make my way down to six forty. The next ten k, I think, if I remember correctly, was meant to be to um, in six thirty eight down to six thirty five. And basically keep coming down that way. So the same as the half, in a way, just like long, the longer yeah. segments. Yes. And it was basically similar to that, yeah, so longer segments. And that was meant to be the plan. And to be totally honest, I had every intention of following that plan. However, I, if, if, if anyone has told you about Chicago, the GPS is terrible. And I had been running only to GPS, right? So even if I, what I normally would do is, I'd run to fill, and if I had if I had a plan like the one James had set, I'll check my watch and I'll use that as a governor. But no one quite tells you that the day of the marathon you're freshly tapered. You should never run to fill. Oh, <laughs> and that's and that's exactly what happened. Was I basically well it was it was really funny because i got to the start line with every intention of following that plan and ev- i think i was in the i was in the first call just behind the elites and i decided okay look let's start out easy and i think i went off the first mile in what i thought was an easy pace and what i was meant to do is i had um auto lap switched off on my phone on, on my watch and i was meant to be hitting the lap button at the mile markers and what happened was the first mile, we got to the first mile, I hit the mile marker. And basically, I'd, I'd done it in 6.17, which was about 33 seconds faster than I should have. Oh, what, gosh. I, yeah. I think what should have been an indicator at the time was um, I was running more or less. I think I'd, just ahead of me was um, Patrick which was um, run 26.2, uh, run point, uh, 26.2. Oh, Patrick Cutter, yeah. of course. Yeah. And he yes. ran like, he ran like a 235 marathon. Yes. And I think <laughs> something, something should have indicated to me that if I was run, if Patrick was just ahead of me, I was doing something wrong. But then also, but the fact is Chicago was, is a really fast race. Cause what happened was I immediately shortened my stride and it seemed to me as if the whole field passed me. But then when I hit the mile marker on the second mile, I was still at 6.23. So I was basically still too fast. So I shortened my stride again. And the next mile, I was um, 6.29. So I basically banked at least one, one minute, 30 seconds in just the first 5K. So you basically just hit a 5K PR at the beginning of your marathon. <laughs> so yeah so i'd basically run a 20 I'd, I'd run a sub 20 minute 5k in that first five now the difference however since working with james was previously i would have stupidly decided to hold pace which would have been a bad idea and which thankfully i didn't do but immediately when i realized what had happened 
I, I, I slowed down considerably. I, I actually, re- because during training, I'd, re- I'd realized that if I, if I even went 20 seconds faster than I should have, I suffered in the later, in the later sets when I had those interval, when I had interval workouts. If I did the first or second walk uh, sets faster than I down the pre- prescribed it, it usually it usually came back to hit me in the later set in the later stages. So what I immediately then did was, well, I said I frantically tried to calm down, and I decided to just hold pace. So I'd hit. So I, I didn't try to hold on to those um, one minute thirty seconds. I think for the first five, for the next five k, I basically was able to hold on to six thirty nine pace. It wasn't perfect because of GPS. So what I think what happened was I had a fast, uh, I had a slow, I had a slow mile, then a faster mile, then a slow mile again. So I was consciously just trying to govern my govern my pace, and I I managed that for the rest, at least the next, I think the next twenty miles. But the wheels began to fall off about mile twenty three or so when um, I realized that. I had a spasm in my right, in my right, in my right, in my right leg. I didn't get the, I didn't get the, um, the cramp as I usually go. I had a spasm. And I think that was, I think after that, I had a 645 split, which was one of my slowest splits um, for the entire race. It was one of my slowest. I tried to scan because at that point I was meant to then do a final push. But then I realized I had nothing left in me. So I basically tried to hold pace, but I think the next mile after that was 6.54. Then I had a 7.19 pace, and then I just tried to give it all I had for the last, um, for the last mile or so. Um, I think that was when I hit the hill. Um, there was, a, there was the, the last hill, I think the only hill on the Chicago Marathon course is on mile 26, and then you, you turn a corner, and then you hit the, um, the finishing straight. And what had happened was I'd got over that hill, but then when I turned the corner, there was this really bad headwind. And that basically held me, held me down. So I was, I was seeing the 254 on the clock. I tried to get, uh, tried to run for the sub um, 255, but that didn't quite happen. But by that time, I, I already knew that I'd, I'd got my PB and I was more or less on target. So yeah, that was it. That's awesome. That is awesome. And I saw on the Chicago Marathon site that you, every single 5K segment, you broke seven-minute pace in all of them, yes. which is yes. huge. And you think back to just a year ago, that would have been like breaking, breaking seven-minute pace in any 5K segment in a marathon would have been, you know, you would have thought you were years away from doing it. And here you are less than a year later. I didn't think it was possible, and you, and, and, yeah. And you, and you just did it. You know, even when you had leg spasms, you did it. Yeah, I think a sub three was, I had, it was, it was a soft target for 2018. I didn't expect it was going to happen. I, it was, I had, um, I'm doing the, the, the uh, marathon majors. So I'd, I needed that for my Boston, but I didn't think I was going to be able to get it in, in 2018. And being, and do, being able to do it and not just get the sub three, but to get it, get a 255 was just magical for me. That's awesome. That is awesome. So, Kenny, here we are, beginning of 2019. What are you looking at for this upcoming year? 
this year um we've discussed i've discussed my year, i've discussed my race plan or, or the uh, we, we've done planning for this year and my major target for this year is the tokyo marathon which is in about two months time um which would be my fifth major uh, marathon major and then w- not doing any other marathon this year it's just probably going to be shorter stuff getting my speed up and then i have boston in 2020 so this year it's like i said the made the 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 a race for this year is tokyo marathon and then just to, just shorter stuff and trying to keep my fitness up for the next year one marathon wow are you going to be able to do it kenny are you going are you going to are you going to try to pull the trigger in the fall for another i've one? changed i've changed i i'm <laughs> I more or less um, agree with what I, I, I agree with what I, I, I tend to follow what, what my coach says. He knows what he's talking about. So he um, we have I, I intend to keep running. I intend to keep I intend to keep pushing my times down. And I, I think that's the best way to do it. He has he, he said it and I agree with it. All right. So. Normally, I do a, a set of questions at the end of every episode, but I'm going to change it for this one because you have so much marathoning experience over in Europe. And I know there's people who listen to this show, no matter where they are, who are interested in running European marathons. So with your knowledge, what would you say are your favorite European marathons? Say like your top two or three and why? Um, top. Well, OK, I'll say three. One of them I've not run yet. I act well. I think one of the best is London. It's it's my home city, but still, it's I still think it's one of the best. Um, Berlin is a close second. Berlin was a fantastic cause. It's pancake flat. It's really scenic, and I think you have less turns in Berlin than any than any of the other major marathons. You get to do you 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 can run the it's yeah you have less turns, which is always good. Another one which is not quite as popular, but I think it's a really good race is the Valencia Marathon. I think one of the good things I really liked about the Valencia I've not run it yet. I actually had to cancel after I ran Chicago because I just I thought it would be a good a bad idea to run one more. But um, the Valencia Marathon actually has a really good um, cancellation policy. They will allow you to cancel if you're, they will allow you to cancel and they'll give you a full refund if you're injured or you can't run for any reason. So, Which, so, so where is it and how do you spell it? Valencia, Valencia is in Spain. Oh, Valencia. Okay, got it. Yeah. All right, my bad. All right, so Valencia Marathon is kind of the hidden gem. Of the ones that yeah, you... and it's it's really flat. It's a really fast cause, and yeah, I think the and I think the cancellation policy really helps because you hardly get that with marathons these days. If you can't make a marathon, you can some allow you to defer, while other ones you just more or less lose your money. Got it, Kenny. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I was excited to have you on, and for good reason. This was fantastic. Thank you so You're welcome, much, Matt. Thank you again, Kenny, for coming on the show. This was a great conversation. Thank you, as always, to our presenting sponsor, Mercury Mile. Also, to Megaton Coffee. You can save on both megatoncoffee.com and mercurymile.com by using my promo code, RamblingRunner10. And believe me, you're not going to regret it. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it, and happy running.